We're leaping into the future with today's podcast guests. We're talking to Alex Burke, the COO of Arcade. We are spoiled as a society in terms of ways of, of spending our time. Arcade specialise in using augmented reality to help visitor attractions engage their audiences more meaningfully. If you imagine that we're giving people a role to play, so you become much more participatory than maybe it's been possible in the past, then it might be useful to start thinking about people who come less as just guests, but as players, as participants. They're experts at creating immersive experiences designed to guide, educate, entertain, and most importantly, connect us more to the world and to each other. I think our role and businesses like ours should be to be trying to make the technology as invisible as possible. Alex is a big believer in Experiences King, which we discuss at length in this interview, along with why it might be time to say goodbye to the visitor. It would be very, very surprising to me if it doesn't turn out to be the, the, the next generation of digital experience. We had a few technical difficulties with this recording, but nothing takes away from Alex's insight. Please stay tuned. Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast that celebrates professionals working in the visitor attraction sector. What do we mean by visitor attractions? Well, it's an umbrella term for a huge range of exciting organisations that are must-sees. Think museums, theme parks, zoos, farms, heritage sites, tour providers, escape rooms, and much, much more. They're tourist hotspots or much-loved local establishments that educate, engage, and excite the general public. Those who work in visitor attractions often pour their heart and soul into providing exceptional experiences for others. In our opinion, they don't get the recognition that they deserve for this. We want to change this. Each episode, we'll share the journeys of inspiring leaders, we'll celebrate their achievements and dig deeper into what really makes their attractions successful, both offline and digitally. Listen and be inspired as industry leaders share their innovative ideas, services and approaches. There's plenty of valuable information you can take away and put into action to create better experiences for your own guests. Your hosts for this podcast are myself, Kelly Molson, and Paul Wright. We're the co-founders of Rubber Cheese, an award-winning digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for visitor attractions. Find out how we can create a better experience for you and your guests at rubbercheese.com. Search Skip the Queue on iTunes and Spotify to subscribe. You can find links to every episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast. We hope that you enjoy these interviews. And if there's anyone you think we should be talking to, please do send us a message. Alex, welcome to Skip the Cube podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So we had a phone call a few weeks ago after I did that terrifying thing of sending a scary LinkedIn message. <laughs> um, I don't know why everyone finds LinkedIn so so terrifying, but I sent a message to you because we wanted to connect with you as an organisation, but we'd come across an amazing case study about one of your projects, and it was Roxy Ranger, which is the world's first AR chatbot in a visitor attraction. And we thought, this is pretty cool. Let's talk to these people. <laughs> so now we are. <laughs> so we really want to find out what is Arcade? Tell us what, what happens there and what you do, and then we'll learn. The sorts of work we do, um, as I'm sure we'll talk about in, in more detail, it's, it is the kind of stuff that, that seems to, to create some interest, create some headlines, get people excited and, and, and talking. 
And so if there's an opportunity to go a little bit deeper into that and, and describe what we do and, and see, you know, how it might help um, the sorts of organizations and places and, um, and brands that you guys work with, then, then so much the better. Absolutely. Well, let's start there then. Well, tell us a little bit about Arcade. So we, obviously we know, but our audience may not be that familiar with you at the moment, but we know that you're a digital practice that connects people to places. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, so we use augmented reality to do exactly that. It's about connecting people to place. Um, we call ourselves a digital practice because that's a bit of a, a nod to our heritage and our background um, in the kind of dual worlds of architecture on the one hand and uh, digital agency on the other. Um, and when you put those two together, so you've got architecture, which is all about uh, an appreciation of and a, and a passion for place and physical space. Um, and you put that together with sort of 15 years or more of, of running digital agencies. And it turns out that when you do that, you're, you're pretty much defining augmented reality, which is the placement of digital content, digital experiences in a physical space. And so using that, you know, not just for its own sake, not just because it's a new bit of tech, uh, not just because it's really exciting and cool, though it is, but actually for purpose and, and to, to use it for specific purpose, which for us is exactly that, like connecting people more meaningfully to the physical spaces around them. So what is your role within Arcade? So my slightly grand title is uh, Chief Strategy Officer. Um, <laughs> I think as with most uh, tech startups, there's lots of chiefs. But my role within that, um, I think, dovetails quite well with the, the guys that are my co-founders, John and Simon. Who one of whom takes a, a sort of a more of a role on the uh, or a lead rather on the the dev side of things, the other much more on the design side, and so my role within that is is to bring, as the title suggests, um, a bit of a strategic view to things, and that's both in terms of the work we do, and really kind of being the the guiding hand or the the hand on the tiller, if you like, making sure that the work is strategically led. Um, I think we'll probably speak a bit about the conflict between a desire to kind of use tech to show off and create these, these incredible mind-blowing experiences versus using technology to actually solve problems and create solutions to challenges that places and attractions and brands and other organizations face every day. So it's to do that, but it's also to try and ensure that Arcade itself is, is strategically placed. Um, you know, this is a really exciting, emergent industry and there are lots and lots and lots of things that you can do with the technology. Um, the question is, what should you do? What's it best used for? And how can we best position ourselves within that? So I would say that my role sort of is in the day to day, but also in the big picture. So this is interesting because this brings me to one of the things that you've said uh, in the past, which is the tech industry often gets a bit carried away and forgets that the experience is king and not the technology. Yeah, I think it's exactly that. And, and it's for good reason. I mean, there's, there are, I would say, a disproportionate number of geniuses, you know, within the tech world. I think, you know, it attracts lots and lots of incredibly smart people doing amazing things. And it always has done. And hopefully it always will. But when you create really amazing things, then the temptation is to run around, get very excited and see what you can do with them. And I think, you know, that's right. That makes total sense. But the danger of it is the kind of classic hammer and a nail analogy. You know, if, if all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail and you end up using it for purposes that perhaps just aren't quite right. 
don't don't show it off in its best light and and therefore do what I think has happened to a degree with immersive tech generally, where you create experiences and, and people look at them, see them, hear them, feel them, and are a little bit underwhelmed. I mean, you go to conferences, tech conferences, or brand conferences, attractions conferences, as I'm sure you have, and, and often people are starting to talk about immersive technology, which is great. One of the questions that often gets asked at the beginning is a sort of audience engagement one around who has had an AR experience. I think it's quite clear that we're going to a world where very soon people, of course, will have had these experiences. But for now, it's a, it's a question worth asking. But the follow-up question is often, you know, right, and who thought they were any good? And the reality is that I think for a lot of people, though they can even create a real sense of kind of wow and, and be really impressive, you're still left often with a sense of so what? You know, so I've seen a panda on the floor next to me. So, <laughs> and although, you know, it, it is incredible, um, I think trying to understand and learn and, and, and work out as an industry, but also as a society, you know, what this incredible technology is really for. How can it be most effective? I think that's, that's the key. So then when you start talking about designing experiences, let's design it from the audience first, the point of view of something that's going to be really rewarding and rewarding in a way that's most useful to whoever it is that is actually staging that, who's putting it on. So finding that that balance of, of, of objective between starting with the, the audience's perspective, starting with the objective of creating something that is going to be fit for purpose and, and, and be something that can be genuinely enjoyed, and balancing that with the interests of the organisation itself. What are you trying to achieve as, let's say, an attraction? You know, what is it that are... The, the challenges that, that are keeping you awake at night. And if AR and digital uh, technology more generally can, can fill that gap and create that link, then I think you've got something really powerful. I think that this is, this is one of the reasons why the case study around Roxy the Ranger really stood out to us. Because, for, and I'll let, you, I'll let you share that story with us, but for so many reasons, the technology had such an incredible effect on the user but it kind of married up so seamlessly with the environment that it was in as well. And it, I mean, it's just phenomenal. Please, if you, if you wouldn't mind sharing about Roxy the Ranger, I'd really love to hear about it. But it, it, it is such a great showcase for exactly what you've just described. So Sea Life is a good example of a challenge where the, the client was, was actually you know, pretty clear on what it was they were trying to achieve. Um, Sea Life, uh, the brand essence, if you like, for them is all about amazing discovery, which is about uh, fun, interactive learning. And they bring that to life in all kinds of, of incredible ways. You know, it's an, it's an astonishing uh, organization. The, the specific aquarium of theirs we were working in is the one uh, in London on South Bank, um, which again is, is an amazing space and it's got these incredible creatures in them. For us, then, the opportunity was to understand how are you going to measure that? How will you know if you've been successful using this technology to further this idea of amazing discovery? And, and it was really all about families and how can we create an experience that was designed to motivate family groups to spend longer and find new ways to engage with these incredible creatures. Importantly, it wasn't about trying to add a digital experience that replaced the engagement, you know, and these amazing animals all around them. It was absolutely to, to support uh, families, um, particularly young children, in learning more and doing it in a really fun way. So 
the result became Roxy, as you say. Roxy is a ranger, and she's effectively a, a virtual expert. You know, she pops up in augmented reality and challenges and educates and entertains kids. And it turns out, by the way, not just kids, it turns out she's <laughs> for, for people of all ages to interact with. And then she rewards them. You know, there's a really nice balance of her sort of imparting knowledge, but also setting these challenges and even getting the, the kids to kind of uh, almost reverse the natural role. So rather than children being kind of told everything, they're encouraged then to start quizzing their grown-ups which they absolutely love, as you can imagine. <laughs> and so the result of all of that is, is something that really hits those measures that we were tasked with. So it encouraged families to spend longer there. That was measurable, ended up spending about 25% longer inside the aquarium. As a paid attraction in particular, that becomes really important because, as we know, if you pay a not unsubstantial amount of money, to go into a space like that if you're sort of back out again at the end half an hour later you sort of you wonder about uh, really important things like value for money and that has a knock-on effect for would i recommend it to a friend and, and further other forms of advocacy so if you can get people to spend longer and if you can get them to do that satisfaction which the, the, the research showed that we did then you know you've got something really really good and, and i suppose the final point on that is links in a way to kind of not getting carried away with the technology that we've just talked about. So, you know, the temptation would be to say, well, we've got this incredible character called Roxy. You know, we can have her doing all kinds of incredible things with you all the time. Now, bearing in mind that we're using principally mobile augmented reality, so it's based around the sorts of phones and devices that people have got in their pockets rather than using headsets or anything else. The last thing we want is to create this kind of permanent barrier of the mobile phone itself that gets in between the, the family, the child, the parent, and those creatures and their experiences. So instead, it becomes all about understanding the impact that AR content, digital content that is only revealed when it's viewed through these devices, what that can have. And what I mean by that is, if you can show somebody, even just for a few seconds, that there's this amazing person, this virtual ranger in this case, who's there in the space with you, if you've seen them in that space and if you've interacted them in, in a particular part of the aquarium, then it's enough to know that they're there. And so we task Roxy with, with setting these challenges that explicitly involve putting the phone away and spending time completing those challenges by looking around, by engaging more with the creatures so that then when you see her again a bit further on, you can kind of re-engage her at that stage, but you feel as though she's been with you throughout even though the device has been effectively back away in your pocket again. And so understanding how these digital immersive experiences work, even when they are just, you know, in small bite-sized chunks. I guess it feels like it's a choice whether you engage rather than a necessity then as well. Yeah, exactly. And that's another, you know, wonderful part of, of using this technology is about empowerment. You know, you're putting the, the user, to use that word, in control. You absolutely, as the, the audience there, you have the option to kind of to do what you like. You have agency in, some, in many ways. And it's about that, what we think is a really interesting sort of switch in mindset for places like Sea Life and other types of visitor attraction, where 
you think of these audiences, and, and there's obviously been lots of debate over over years about what the right word is for, for people who turn up to these places. Are they visitors or guests or audiences? Are, you know, what are they? What's the best way to think of them? Well, there's an interesting way of thinking about them, which is that if you imagine that we're giving people a role to play, so you become much more participatory than maybe it's been possible in the past, then it might be useful to start thinking about people who come less as just guests, but as players, as participants. They're, they're engaged. It, it's, it's an experience built around them and what they do can affect their experience of it. And, and maybe that doesn't mean you know they're in that player mode all the time, but I would certainly be very interested and, and do challenge attractions and other places to, to consider what would happen, what would change if you thought of the people who turned up as players, what would you do differently? And just maybe that kind of opens the door to a slight shift in mindset, which could have quite a profound effect on the way that you look to engage people who are increasingly, we certainly believe, looking for more active roles, looking to be more immersed. So we think it's a, it's a really interesting way to reconsider who they are, what they do, and absolutely give them that power and that choice. When VAs uh, approach you, for your services what are they looking for is it they know they need an immersive experience so they come to you guys or is it something else imagine it's a challenge for you guys going in there and then knowing when they need you yeah I, I think you know we certainly see a full spectrum taking the kind of view that I've been describing where it's all about solving challenges I think there's a huge amount that we can add really early on you know before you've even thought AR or even digital or technology of any kind. What are your challenges just as an organization? Within those challenges, there will be some that perhaps naturally lend themselves to um, and I think it's up to businesses like ours um, to be really clear and honest about the ones that aren't appropriate because we're all, we've all been there. We're building businesses. And if there's an opportunity to do something that, that can bring some revenue in, the temptation is always to say yes. I think it's really, really important, going back to that point of doing things for purpose and not just for the sake of it, that we are able to kind of either say no or at least challenge whether or not our technology is right. But if you can find that alignment where there is a, a natural challenge and say, well, you know, have you considered this sort of approach using immersive technology and for us that's AR in particular then you can have some a really great conversation and typically you know we find that very rewarding very fruitful although we have to accept that those conversations tend to take longer so from a perspective that's a kind of a, a slightly longer game to play but it can be very rewarding and it certainly means that you can be part of the strategic build up to a to a project rather than simply the kind of supplier um, on the technology side that said, when a client has already gone along a, a big part of that journey already, which was pretty much true for Sea Life, true for some other projects that we're working on, clearly it's much, much quicker. You know, there's still an opportunity to, to offer a sense of kind of course correction, if you like, if that's required, or at least to have an input into refining the challenge and refining, therefore, the solution. I think you can still do that. But but yeah, that, that's, that's a long answer to your question. But it, the, I think people potential clients, existing clients, that they are, they're on a full spectrum of start point from we know we need an AR experience, the, the very detailed, very specific end through to I've got a bit of a challenge. I don't know how to solve it. Do you fancy a chat? 
I want to go back to something that you said earlier, which was around how we address the audience. Are people an audience or are they guests or are they players? There's a brilliant blog that you directed to me too after we had a chat that Arcade wrote. And it's called Ready Visitor One, Why It's Time to Say Goodbye to the Visitor. And we will put links to all of these blogs uh, in the show notes so everyone can access them. But it's a really excellent article which completely challenges the definition of a visitor and how our expectations from an experience are really changing. And I think for me, I really, I really loved this changing terminology because I think there are so many attractions that you go to where you, do, you just want to play, you just want to have fun. One of our, our clients is Eureka, the National Children's Museum, and their whole ethos is, is learning through play. So I, I guess it kind of really resonated with us. And I just thought it was such a refreshing way of looking at the terminology that we use for people that are coming into these attractions and, and how we're engaging with them. I thought it was excellent. Thank you. I, I, I mean, the title slightly dates it, I suppose. It was around the time... <laughs> Ready Player One came out, um, the, the film, which, by the way, is the film of an incredible book, well worth reading anyone who hasn't. But I think the principle is, is certainly something, as you can tell, that, that resonates with us. And it might be a little bit overstated. Um, I think it deliberately pushes the idea to, um, to its conclusion. But, but we definitely think there's something in it because, like you say, it's about reflecting the shifting expectations of people. We are spoiled as a society. Um, in terms of ways of of spending our time. And the notion of spending time is exactly the right phrase. You know, it's it's an investment. It's a very, very finite resource. And there are so many things that we can make. So, you know, everyone's very familiar with this, but, you know, as an attraction of of any form, it's very, very hard to stand out and be the, the best choice for somebody at a particular point in time. So how do you respond to that? We certainly see a a society where there is much greater interest and desire for experiences where I've got a role to play, where it's not just about being kind of passive, switching off on receive mode. There will always be a space for that. Of course, there will. The kind of sit on the sofa and switch off. There will always be space for that. But increasingly, you know, we're seeing the growth of this sort of experience economy. And that's about participation. Increasingly, you know, escape rooms being the, the most obvious example, massive, massive growth, massive interest. And that's because you get that notion of play and you take it out into the world and you get to do it. You know, you get to be a part of it. It's all about you and your role and your choices. And I think within that, that evolving set of expectations, there's a real opportunity for, for places to consider, you know, in this new way, who these people are who we're trying to attract in the first place. And the notion of players which is inherently a very active idea, a very active notion. It's all about engagement, active choice, participation, fun, is perhaps an interesting way of thinking about who they are, as opposed to some of those more traditional terms, guest, visitor, you know, which are, by comparison, much more passive. So we're certainly big fans of of it as a concept. And as I say, I, I just really recommend that even, you know, without our help, just spend a bit of time thinking about what might change if we thought of our visitors as something more active, as players. How do you think that that goes across to visitor attractions that are within the cultural sector, so more uh, museums or or heritage uh, organisations? Do you think that use of terminology would uh, would put them off in any way? The traditional view 
of a stereotypically traditional sector like heritage is that there would be you know resistance to that it's sort of yes and no I, and certainly in our experience there is a massive massive appetite within the heritage sector for exploring new ways to attract audiences to engage with new audiences that they wouldn't necessarily be able to access to find ways of sort of repositioning in people's minds what heritage experiences are all about and as a result of that i think there is a, there's actually a tremendous appetite and and quite a bit of time being invested into exploring innovative ways of, of achieving those goals so we've been lucky enough to do some work with the uh, heritage alliance we did a, a lovely little piece for the the ragged school museum last week which was about bringing a victorian school teacher uh, to life which we did through ar and to bring those kind of playful uh, experiences into spaces that are otherwise sort of perceived as old-fashioned static dusty dare i say it boring <laughs> um, I think actually, uh, sort of almost counterintuitively, is the sort of space where something like AR can have almost the most profound effect because it's such a big challenge to what you might otherwise expect in a space like that. So, so I think there is a, a, a real appetite for it. The, the one space that, that I think is uh, a really interesting challenge, and this isn't unique to heritage, but you certainly, I think, encounter it there more, is concern, and it's you know, absolute justified concern, about more role, a greater role for digital devices, for the phones that we carry around with us. You know, what are we finding extra ways to, to rely on them to provide us with entertainment? Sure. Isn't that kind of the opposite to what we try and we sort of need to aim for as a, as a society? And, and in the role of with visitor attractions, the perception that they have often of themselves is as a space where you can get away from some of that stuff. So I think there's a couple of responses that, that are, you know, quite important. You know, the first one is that there is the sort of the, the counter uh, space that you can position within. You can be the, the anti-device, the anti-phone, the, the analog space of digital detox. Um, and that can be effective. But I think that for the most part, we've only got to look around in the world today and you realise, of course, that the genie's at the bottle. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, either you fight it or if you can't beat it, then, then join it. Um, and but do so in a way that isn't simply adding more of, to that kind of negative perception of what these devices are all about. If we can do it well, and if we can use them in the way that AR is so useful for, which is about turning them rather than into the black mirror, the digital abyss <laughs> that it's often framed as, instead of that, it's a window onto the world that we're standing in. You know, it's simply a way, this incredible device that can, that can reveal hidden experiences, hidden stories. You know, it's, it's magical when it's done well, because you're, look, you're, you're not looking at the device, you're looking through it and you're seeing the space around you in a completely new way. And I think that can be a really powerful way to, again, you know, shift perceptions of well, what devices are, never mind what a, a heritage or museum space is all about. So if you bring that together, I think you can you can create something incredible, really helps those sorts of organizations and does so in a sympathetic way to, to challenges. And as I say, you know, very fair challenges about the role of devices um, in our lives at the moment. And I guess that's, you know, part of your role is to kind of have these discussions with attractions about how they they seamlessly adopt the tech, but without it becoming the focus. So they use the tech as a tool, but it's not the, the focus of what, of what that experience is about. 
And it absolutely has to be. You know, I think that goes back to the point about experience being key. I think our role and businesses like ours should be to be trying to make the technology as invisible as possible. It should be about trying to create a seamless engagement with with the place. You know, when we talk about connecting people to place, that's what we mean. It's not connecting people to technology or connecting people to, to device. And frankly, society is already good enough at that already. <laughs> but it's about connecting people to place and the way we do with technology. It's just a tool. It's a new tool, but it can be used to solve really old, big challenges. Uh, I think that's the best way of seeing it. What projects have you um, worked on recently either, that you've really, really loved working on that you, that you know, that you've, you've seen has produced incredible results for, for that attraction? Sea Life was a great one. We've talked about that. Um, we've done other work with, uh, with Merlin. Had a, a great piece that we launched at uh, Madame Two Swords, which is another of their spaces, which is a really fascinating one. Because, you know, it's, it's a whole brand that is known for static experiences. That's kind of what its USP is really, <laughs> than anybody else. But their goal, uh, in the same way that Sea Life is all about uh, amazing discovery, for Madame Tussauds, it's about being uh, an alive fame experience. So a sense of life and dynamism is really, really important to where they're trying to get to. So you can imagine, therefore, that you know that these dynamic digital experiences can be very, very powerful. We're doing some work, actually, uh, at the slightly more artistic end of things, which is really interesting. So working with Welsh National Opera, uh, we've actually got a piece that's launching at the end of this week at their, initially at their space in Cardiff, but it's due to tour with, a, with the opera that inspired it. The experience is called A, a Vixen's Tale, um, and the opera that it, it sort of was inspired by is A, a Coming Little Vixen, um, which is also launching on, on Saturday. It's a really interesting kind of mixed piece that creates a, a very physical environment so it was great for us to almost go back to that architectural roots that we've had and design this this very physical experience um something that's had to be constructed so uh, the principal part of it is literally wood you know it's made and it's a, it's a physical thing but we've also created the augmented experiences that go with it all device driven all about immersing people into the stories the narratives and most importantly the emotions of the, this incredible opera and um, trying to create a link between you know you talk about heritage spaces being quite sort of stereotypically traditional uh, opera has its own uh, quite traditional perceptions of that. Um, and it's not perhaps where you'd expect to find this this really deeply immersive uh, ar experience but you know i think doing that is all about sort of challenging perceptions and creating those links and changing the way people feel about that space you know that when you're in that area either as a kind of seasoned opera goer or as a brand new uh, visitor, then it changes the way that you perceive the kind of the subject matter of this particular opera and the characters within it, the stories, and as I say, the emotions. So we're really excited about that. Can they take that on tour with them as well? So it's not something that's static in one place. They can take that around the country with them. Yeah, which the construction guys were delighted about. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. Um, we sort of sent them the plans and said, yeah, not only do you need to build this, you also need to build it in a way that uh, packs up and fits in the back of a truck. Um, but but no, it's exactly that. Um, I think that you know, when you think about everything you can do with AR, it would have been possible to do this entirely virtually and to have these physical, I say physical sort of constructions, but within a virtual space. But the fact that we didn't was a really important part of the consideration of, ha- of audience engagement so that 
picking up a device and getting into the, the tech part of it actually isn't mandatory. You can have a really important, engaging and, and sort of immersive in an analog sense, uh, an immersive experience without picking up a device at all because of these, these physical arches. And so that kind of democratic approach, making sure it's as accessible as possible. And the plan absolutely is for it to, to tour with the opera initially nationally after it's been in Cardiff for a month or so, but hopefully then internationally as well once uh, it branches out and it starts being produced uh, overseas. Excellent. Even more challenges for the packing people. <laughs> Not our problem. <laughs> you, you touched a little bit on there about accessibility, and that was something that I, I kind of wanted to ask you about the uh, experiences that you create, because obviously it's something that we are challenged with daily. You know, we need to make everything that we develop and build accessible for as many different audiences as possible. How do you, um, how do you plan for that in the experiences that you develop? Um, you know, how do you start to look at how you make everything accessible for people who are hard of hearing, hard of sight, etc., all those kind of things? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's a huge challenge, but it absolutely needs tackling head on. Making sure that, for example, I'll use the National Opera, the Vixen's Tale, as, a, as an example. We designed the physical arches themselves, and there was a, or there is a, a, a physical space. There's a, there's a specific width. Um, within these arches and it became an important consideration to ensure for example that wheelchairs can get through the the physical components of of that but within there it also means you've got to consider people using AR at different heights that's about obviously you know just different formed uh, different height people different ages but also different accessibility challenges so wheelchair users again a really interesting uh, consideration when it comes to accessing that digital AR content for sensory loss of, of various types. Um, so first of all, within de- the delivery of an emotional experience, audio plays a massive, massive part. Audio AR is often quite underlooked because when we think about AR experiences, they are principally visual, uh, or at least that's the perception. But actually, you can do so much with spatial audio. And as we know, you know the, the profound effect of music and sound in terms of stimulating emotion and and playing its role within narrative and storytelling is immense. So if you can get that role sort of prominent enough so that it almost is a valuable experience entirely on its own without a visual component, then I think you're, you know, you're doing quite a lot for, for that sense of access and inclusivity. And other forms are, you know, they're, they're, they're challenging. Um, As I say, we principally use uh, mobile devices simply because they are everywhere. So we talk about democratic access in terms of just accessibility of the, of the hardware itself. I think it's broadly accepted that we are moving towards a world in which wearables of some kind, be they glasses, um, it might be Apple that finally uh, cracks the, 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 the set of glasses that um, can deliver AR content and don't make you look like an idiot when you're wearing them. Uh, that, that might happen and it might happen in the next year or so. But for now, there are billions of incredibly powerful computers in people's pockets. So making a choice to primarily use those, I think, is a big accessibility point as well, rather than demanding expensive or difficult to obtain bits of hardware, headsets and so on. So, so that's the attitude. I, I think, you know, in general, it's critical, uh, you know, that, that, that sense of providing experiences that feel rewarding, that feel as though they've taken me into consideration 
is really important and and you know that role the ability of ar as opposed to physical equivalents uh, of things you could do um in, in ar it can be very personal you know absolutely can respect and and respond to who you are your needs whether those are simply interests or whether they are related to your disabilities um, i think it can respond in those in those ways so accessibility of of all forms uh, is really really important. You know, it can it can afford to be very responsive. So AR has the ability to to make things very personal to you. You know, whether that's your interests or what you're trying to get out of this, whether it's your demographic, whether it's about your personal ability or disability challenges, um, you can create experiences that are specific to the user. And that's a really important and powerful part of, of what AR can offer and has to be incorporated into the development. We're in the early days of AR. Where do you see it going and where do you think we'll be at in, say, 10 or 20 years? Time? Wow. Uh, Gosh, that's, that's a, a long biggie. time. It's a, biggie. Yeah, it's a big <laughs> question. I mean, but... 10 or 20 days, maybe. I'll, I'll... <laughs> have a guess. I think it's one of these areas where it's unusual to have so much alignment in people whose job it is one way or the other to predict the future, who are all saying that, you know, AR is where it's going. And I think, you know, that's encouraging. I don't think it's necessarily a complete given. Nothing is. And everything's moving so fast that, you know, it could be wrong. But there are so many things you can do with that principle of overlaying digital content in a physical environment, that it would be very, very surprising to me if it doesn't turn out to be the, the, the next generation of digital experience. You know, I mentioned before that it's still worthwhile at the moment asking whether or not people have had an AR experience. That will not be true for long. Um, you know, we will see in the next year, two years, that it just becomes as normal as accessing the internet is today. I'm very confident about that. What people use it for will also be as, as varied as what people use the internet for. You know, it's simply a channel. As we said before, it's just a new tool for solving old challenges, for accessing information, for accessing uh, entertainment, for um, conversing with each other, for playing games. All these things are, are equally relevant and equally powerful when it comes to addressing them with AR. What it can do, though, is... Just get us to kind of lift our heads a little bit. I think if we think about it in, in those terms, it can be quite a profound shift from what is typically this kind of heads down screen based world that we live in to something that is far more heads up, where we are almost re-engaging with the physical space around us because the digital content that we're so reliant on our screens for today becomes available in that three dimensional world around us. That might sound slightly kind of idealistic and poetic, but, but I do think that can be an effect that AR can have. And it's one of the reasons why it, it seems incredibly likely to me that most of these predictions are true, that we will be in an AR-driven world, but one where it's not remarkable. You know, I, I think we tend to even use these words, augmented reality. You know, they, they frankly, to me, I think for a lot of people, you know, sound almost deliberately techy and geeky and sci-fi and for a lot of people that signals that it's not for me whereas ar for all the reasons we just talked about you know is all is the opposite of that it, it's absolutely one of the most or should be one of the most democratic channels uh, and technologies around 
So I think the, the gradual normalization that we're going to see of AR will make it just a very, very commonplace thing. And that's for the better. I think we need to stop kind of overstating how sort of incredible and techy and, and, and astonishing it is and, and just say, you know, it's this great new way of having new experiences. It's a, it's a massive mind shift, really, isn't it? In the way people look at it and realise how it can be used. Yeah, it is. But then, you know, this is an old point, but, you know, when you actually look at the timeline of, of the evolution of these devices in our pocket and what we use them for, it's been incredibly recent and incredibly fast. What we have shown is that as human beings, we are incredibly adaptable, <laughs> almost to the point of forgetfulness. You know, we, we just kind of put the past behind us incredibly fast. We, we forget what life was like before the smartphone, before the internet, before computers, before, you know, rewind. And, and it feels like another age that, you know, the, the iPhone has only been with us for 12 years. And some of the, the more recent uh, abilities that it offers us uh, are, you know, within the last kind of 18 months to two years. And yet they become totally normal, totally expected. And we're almost kind of thinking, right, well, what's next all the time? So, yes, it's a big shift. But I think, you know, in a very, very short space of time, it will feel obvious. Of course, we look at things in, in three dimensions. Of course, we see digital content in there. Why wouldn't we? In terms of um, AI and machine learning, how do you see that? being integrated with AR and uh, like currently and also where do you see that going? Yeah so I think when you bring in forms of machine learning again you know huge amounts that it can offer one of the biggest areas seems to me to be you know responsiveness and, and personal responsiveness and, and, and offering experiencing uh, experiences sorry in specific contexts that are right for the person who's experiencing it which I think is very powerful I mean you're it takes you into certain, you know, both quite astonishing futures where you know I can see exactly the information that I want, when I want it, where I want it, how I want it. It does also open the door to kind of minority report style dystopias where you know where we're just being completely bombarded by digital information in that physical space, um, and that it becomes very difficult to get away from. So. There are undoubtedly dangers when we sort of push that over contextualization and over responsiveness, attractive though it might seem. But hopefully things like Minority Report and, and other sort of dystopian pictures of the future, plus our experience of where we've got better at producing internet experiences that are easier, more enjoyable, that aren't too kind of aggressively ad driven, for example. I think all of that can add together to help us steer clear of some of those potential downsides of, of AI taking too much control and trying to be in some kind of weird way too helpful. I noticed that you've opened a office in Amsterdam recently. Yes, that's right. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so it's, it's a sort of combination of just coincidence, as in uh, it has come around at a coincidentally useful time. Without wishing to get too political, I think um, <laughs> a foot in Europe isn't a terrible thing right now. We've also got some links there through staff who've created some uh, really strong links with one in particular who's moved back to uh, Utrecht and is the MD of the office there. Amazing guy, one of these sort of ambitious young guys who, who's going to absolutely tear the, the AR world up. And so he's, uh, he's a very, very good person for, for businesses like ours to hold on to. So we wasted no time in saying, yep, yeah, off you go. Set up and get going. Oh, wow. Do you have any 
kind of future plans or any events or anything that you would like to share with our audience before we say goodbye? We're in a very busy period, which is a, a great thing. There's some fabulous work we're doing with the London Borough of Camden, which uh, is quite a long running project. That's all about effectively turning the borough or, or key pockets within it into a huge open, uh, we use the word museum, but it's a, it, it turns the borough into a huge space of augmented reality driven arts and culture experiences. It's for a, a thing called... Oh, wow. Yeah, it's for a thing called Camden Alive. And we're creating something called the Camden People's Museum. And this is going to challenge perception of what a museum even is. You know, we were talking about the world of heritage before. Uh, and this way, we're effectively turning the entire borough into one big open museum. It's all about collaborations between residents and artists. It's telling the, the stories and, and revealing the characters and, and the heritage of you know, one of London's most iconic boroughs. And turning it into uh, something that we sometimes refer to, which is a, a playable place. Um, I've not mentioned that. It's one of the sort of core ideas that, that we have where if you can do this well, if you can use AR effectively, if you can bring in that sense of education and entertainment and challenge and reward, which we, we hope the Camden People's Museum absolutely will, then you've got something that we refer to as a playable place, which we love as a kind of slightly counterintuitive, but very, I certainly find it a very evocative thought. You know, how do you make a place playable? And that links back to what we were saying about players rather than visitors. But, you know, that when you can do that on a quite a grand scale, for example, across a, a London borough, that becomes incredibly exciting. So the first few experiences of, of uh, within the Camden People, People's Museum are going up within the next month or two, and there'll be more coming into the new year. I have to ask, how do you make a borough? Like, uh, how do you do that? <laughs> how? How is the question? Yeah. How? Well, uh, <laughs> you can either sort of start with the, the, the massive vision and try and work out how to make the entire place uh, into one big playable place, or you can make it achievable. And you can start with some quite specific areas, which we were able to do because of the scope of the project itself, which is to focus on the, uh, I think it starts with initially about 10 of the estates across Camden and pairs them with artists. So you already start with these kind of specific areas within a borough and each one of those areas will have its own experience and its own artwork that we're bringing to life. But then part of the, the challenge becomes linking those together and motivating, we'll call them players, if you like, to visit more than one of those spaces. You know, what happens if you do go from one to the next and how do you get there? And, and what's your experience been when you've had two or three? Let me tell you about some more that are being released in the coming month or, or two. You know, come back for a, a new experience that, that's just been launched. All that kind of thing where you've got these specific areas, but you can also create a, a sort of connected narrative that links them all together. Do you bring um, gamification into that as well? Oh, it's, it's a very loaded word, that, isn't it? It is. <laughs> it's one of those words that is absolutely right you know it's, it's bang on it's it's accurate for what you're trying to do unfortunately it gets tarnished because it makes it feel like it's being dumbed down and makes it sound like it's just getting a bit silly but when you break it down you know all gamification means is how do you use the mechanisms that have been made popular by gaming to motivate and and entertain and as i said like challenge and reward people that's what games do 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, it gets to the heart of, our, of, our, of a really core human driver, which is play and, and fun and engagement. But it is all about that kind of that sense of challenge and reward. So in that sense, absolutely. You know, I think it's a really important part of these sorts of experiences. They don't need to be games in a traditional sense, although they can be. But even just by harnessing the characteristics of games and building them into these experiences, then you can turn something that would normally be quite passive into something much, much more active and much more rewarding, I think, as a result. Alex, we have had the best time talking to you this afternoon. Thank you so much for coming on Skip the Queue and thank you so much for sharing all of these incredible projects. An absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like there might be an update at some point <laughs> in the next couple of years. <laughs> we need to check in on your 10 year prediction. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even. I, no, um, absolutely. And maybe sooner. Maybe sooner. We've got a lot of good things coming up, so it'd be great to talk to you again. Absolutely. Thank you again for your time. Thanks, guys. You can find links and notes from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast or search Skip the Queue on iTunes and Spotify to subscribe. Please remember to leave a rating. It helps other people find us. This podcast was brought to you by Rubber Cheese, an award-winning digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for visitor attractions. Find out how we can create a better experience for you and your guests at rubbercheese.com.